Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. 2023 is already well underway. We're in it. So don't wait any longer to level up on your small business and set your year up for success. Get ahead of the competition and use stamps.com to mail and chip. Stamps.com lets you print your own postage, which has been such an incredible asset for me in my business because if I want to ship something or mail something, not having to run to the post office, I can tell you it makes the difference of me <laughs> of me sending something and not. I'll tell you that right now. You can do all of this from your home. It's ready to go in minutes. You can get back to doing the things that you need to for your business. Posted rates have increased again. And luckily, stamps.com has the best discounts in the industry with rates you literally can't find anywhere else, like up to 84% off of USPS and UPS. Plus, stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. And for 25 years, stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. You get access to USPS and UPS shipping services. So you can run your business right from your computer, just like we do. Anytime, day or night, no lines, no traffic, no waiting. And if you sell products online, like we do, Stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart. You can use Stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. All you need is a computer and a printer. They even send you a free scale so you'll have everything you need to get started. If you need a package pickup, you just schedule it and I just leave it outside. It's so Easy. Set your business up for success when you get started today with stamps.com. Sign up with promo code BEST for a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code BEST. Listen, it's a four week trial. It's free postage. It's a digital scale. You're going to go to www.stamps.com slash best. And thanks to stamps.com for sponsoring the show. This is one of those episodes where I'm like, thank God I have a podcast. I'm so happy to be able to share this type of information. Uh, We have on Dr. Mark Schultz, who's the Associate Director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development. The Harvard Study of Adult Development is the longest scientific study of happiness ever conducted. It's been going on since 1938. 
the first of its kind, and it boasts even JFK as a participant. It's been going on for 84 years. How adorable is this? This is what this man, this is this man's life's work, (laughs) is seeing what makes people happy. So we're going to talk about what that is. We're going to talk about what's in his book, The Good Life, that he co-authored. We're going to talk about the most common misconceptions about happiness. We're going to talk about the fact that being lonely is just as dangerous for us as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. That the joy people feel in their lives can help them and heal them on a cellular level. It's just adorable. I get choked up a couple of times because it just makes you think that there just has to be some level of goodness at the end of all of this or up there, whatever is in charge, whoever is in charge. Please enjoy. I hope this gives you a fabulous serotonin boost. I hope it makes you reevaluate a few things. I'm lucky to be able to deliver such a positive message to everybody today. So love you guys. And by the way, by the way, if you don't mind, if you like the podcast and you listen to it every week and you like this episode or you like me even just a little bit, would you mind rating and leaving a review on the little review section of Apple? It would mean the world to me. Thank you. Okay. Doctor, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Good to be here. I'm so fascinated by this study. <laughs> I mean, how cool. <laughs> What a cool job you have. It is cool. I feel very lucky. Very, right? very lucky. So I'd love to know a little bit about your background before we get into how you ended up, you know, in helping everybody live their true best lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I started off trying to figure out how to live my own best life, of course. <laughs> um So my background's in clinical psychology. I trained to do research and also to do therapy to help people address problems in their life and also to thrive. And after I earned my degree, I started doing research in another longitudinal study that looked at the transition from adolescence into adulthood. And then later on in my career, I got lucky enough to be involved in the Harvard study of adult development, which traced people from their teen years all the way through to the end of their life. So that remarkable study that you were alluding to. And I've been doing this for about 20 years with that study at this point. Wow. Who started that? It was a study that started in the 1930s. It was very unusual for its time. It was actually two separate studies in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two-thirds of the original, there are 724 original participants. Two-thirds came from the poorest areas of Boston. This was a study that was interested in trying to understand how some kids growing up in poor areas of Boston in the inner city could thrive and other kids maybe uh, had consequences associated with delinquency and other struggles during their adolescence. And then across the city over in Cambridge was another study that started with Harvard University students uh, four consecutive years in their sophomore year. And they were interested also in trying to understand what led to people thriving. And the Harvard one was started by the Harvard Health Center. They had this very unique idea in the 1930s on the eve of World War II. Let's study normal people and try and understand how people might thrive or flourish. And the inner city kids, it was a similar idea under different circumstances. What are the ingredients to flourishing in that particular environment? And that was started by a law professor and his wife. Oh, wow. Wow. That just out of curiosity? They were interested in delinquency. So the Mm -hmm. participants that we have in our sample 
from the inner city were kind of what we would call the control group. These were adolescents that were doing okay, despite the challenging circumstances. And then there were adolescents that were already identified as juvenile delinquents that had run into trouble with the law and were well identified to law enforcement folks in Boston. So that control group eventually got merged with the Harvard students, and that has formed the Harvard Study of Adult Development. Those people we followed throughout their entire life, their wives became involved in the study along the way. And now we're actually studying the 1,300 children of those original participants. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How many people are involved initially? So there's 1,300 children. So how many people are total involved in this study? So it's over 2,000. The original group was 724. Then their wives became involved. And now the 1,300 children. So it's an amazing study. And as you said, I feel very lucky to be able to be part of it. The gift that these folks have given is extraordinary. So they open their lives up to people studying them. In the beginning of the study, they were poked and prodded every way. They were asked very uh, personal questions. Of they course. were interviewed. There were home visits to their families. Their parents were interviewed. And along the way, the study has kept up that focus on really trying to know intimately the lives of these folks as they grew up. So it's a remarkable study and it's fairly unique. It's the only one that we know of of its kind. Is it all are these people all over the U.S.? So initially, it was an inner city group in Boston that were located within the city. And then the Harvard students came from all over the United States. And now, of course, they moved all over the world. So the study gets harder as it cool. goes on because we have to travel to find those participants or bring them into our lab in Boston. So it's a study that logistically has gotten more challenging <laughs> but because of a lot of luck and some incredible leadership over the years. It's kept going, which is, again, just remarkable. And it was the findings in this that led you to write your book, correct? Yeah. So we, Bob Walder and I, who's the director, I'm the associate director, we have been involved in the study for 20 years and we decided it was time to step back a little bit. And we had an interest in trying to think about ways to bring these findings, which exist in academic journals that very few people read, to figure out a way to bring them to a larger group. So we started to think about the hundreds of papers. What's the kind of common signal? What's the most important factor that we're finding that affects your happiness and your health. And it was clearly relationships in our own data, mm -hmm. but because any one study, no matter how interesting it is, isn't good enough, we wanted to look at other studies to see whether there were similar findings across other studies that involve people that didn't grow up in the 1920s that were not initially all men. Our sample was initially all men from Boston. Um, so we tried to look for replication across many studies and we found a similar thing. It turns out that relationships are critical maybe not surprising to your listeners for our happiness, but what is surprising is how much it affects our health as well. So that prompted us to write a book, The Good Life. I'm sure you've also read Outliers at some point, right, Malcolm? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That I, there are like three things that stuck out to me that I think about constantly from that book. And one is the one study about the Italian immigrants and how, what was it? It was like, like heart disease was taking over America and people were having heart attacks and high cholesterol. And this one group had none of it, but they were eating the same things, but they found that they were a community and they knew their neighbors and they had tight relationships with you. everybody. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Because it so just is... made my heart explode. I was like, that's all we need. <laughs> well, it seems so simple, but it turns out, of course, to be challenging. As we all know, relationships can be messy and complicated and they're hard to, to control. But this is a finding across many studies. Sometimes it's accidental, the importance of relationships and whatever they're studying. But at this point, we know very clearly that relationships affect our health in important ways, affect how long we live. The clearest data on this are when we think about people who are lonely. So these are large portions of our adult populations report being lonely, 20 oh to 50% in the United States, right? Very high numbers. 20 um, to 50%. 20 to 50%. Say they're lonely. Report they're lonely on a daily basis. This includes some of the highest at risk Folks are young people, for example, at college that are surrounded by, you know, thousands of people that are like them doing similar things. So it's not just physical isolation from others, but it's a sense that other people don't know you or don't have your back, that you're kind of living life on your own without being seen and heard. And it turns out that that's a clear risk factor for our health and also affects how long we live. And it's a risk factor on the same order of magnitude as smoking uh, no. almost a pack of cigarettes or obesity. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It makes sense. Oh, that's so hard. It makes me like emotional. That's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Sundays for dogs. My favorite. It's an air dried dog food made from a very short list of human grade ingredients. When this thing arrives to my doorstep, by the way, it's like they all know. I know they can smell it. This food is so good that we give it to them as treats. It's unbelievable. It's so easy to store and serve. It was co-founded by Dr. Tori, who's a practicing veterinarian. Sundays contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic ingredients. Besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you'll find digestive aids like pumpkin and ginger, plus disease-fighting antioxidants. Dog parents report noticeable health improvements in their pups, including softer fur, fresher breath, better poops, and more energy. I mean, our dogs are salivating over this, and I feel so good feeding them the best quality food. It gets really hard having three big dogs. I don't have freezer storage. I'm not going to like buy an outside refrigerator or freezer for them. I mean, I just need food that I could feed them that they love, that I know is not going to age them poorly and make them feel really good. And it's just been a huge, a huge, huge asset for us. Unlike other dog foods, there's zero prep. There's no mess. There's no stress. It's shelf stable. makes it easy to feed our dogs like the most top quality. And like I said, it ships right to your door, which is fabulous. It also costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money on shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your pup. We worked out a special deal for our dog-loving listeners. You can get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Just go to sundaysfordogs.com slash best or use code best at checkout. That is sundaysfordogs, S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S.com forward slash best. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your doggy. Parallel is one of the constants on my health journey. They have targeted doctor-made daily vitamin routines conveniently bundled in packets for every possible stage of our reproductive lives. 
There's a general women's multivitamin pack, a product for anyone trying to conceive, which is what I'm taking. They have packs for each trimester of pregnancy because mom and baby need different nutrients at different stages. They have a mom multi-pack for postpartum in the early years of motherhood. And I took all of them. <laughs> I am like the spoke perfect spokesperson for this damn brand because they've come in so handy to me because like I always talk about before parallel, I was like Googling the things I needed and buying all these different bottles and trying it. This it just, just did it for me. Each pack bundles, multivitamins, formulated for a woman's specific needs, targeted supplements for that stage and an omega containing DHA and EPA. The Conception Support Pack, which I'm taking, has two prenatal vitamins, an omega, a CoQ10 capsule that can help support ovulation and egg health, and folate capsule that helps support early stage pregnancy. What I love about Parallels, they also have amazing boutique of add-on products like their PCOS support, which I could not live without and don't go a day without taking and travel with and am nothing without and have alleviated my PCOS symptoms in an unbelievable manner so quickly. I mean, I am like the biggest parallel stan on the planet. <laughs> Truly. I trust parallels, my go-to vitamin. I recommend it to everyone. It's made by a team of world-class doctors and leading excerpts behind every ingredient, dosage, and formula. This brand can't recommend it enough. And that's why I'm so happy to be working with them because we get to give you a discount code exclusively for everything is the best listeners. Parallel is offering 15% off your first three months with code BEST15. Head to parallel.co. That is P-E-R-E-L-E-L.co. And if you don't love it, just cancel at any time and you get a 30-day money-back guarantee. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So you must then also, like, it must be interesting... To see in the study at what point then like uh, social media became <laughs> prevalent, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Because that yep. must have been a huge, I mean, it's a huge impact on society. Okay. So let's talk about the quality of these relationships and what yep. kind of relationships we're talking about. Because this can't just be, you know, people who get married and live happily ever after. This is just having some core friendships or relationships with your family, I'm assuming, correct? So, so the first thing that's important is that it's all relationships we're talking about. So folks mm -hmm. that 
haven't found a mate or they were in a horrible marriage and they got out of it. Relationships are so important to our well-being. They provide so many important things to us that it's rare that we would get it from one person. So it's your friends, it's your relatives, it's your neighbors, the people you work with, even those peripheral relationships, maybe the person who serves you coffee in the morning or the person who delivers your mail, having a connection with those kind of people can be important to our well-being. You asked about the quality, and it's important. The quality, it's not just the number of connections we have, but the quality is also critically important. So we're talking about at, at most important relationships, people who really have your back, that in the study, we asked folks if you're sick or scared in the middle of the night, is there someone you can call? So for all of us, it's important oh to have that person uh, to think about who am I going to call? Some mm -hmm. people could list five, six people, and some people, even though they were in a marriage, they said they didn't really know who they could depend on in the middle of the night. So really important to have that kind of support. And then there are other kinds of support. People who we have connections with teach us new things. They expose us to new ideas and new people. Certainly dealing with stress is critical. So when we're stressed out, we have our emotions to deal with. Most of us often turn to others to help us uh, regulate those emotions in ways that are useful for us. People help give us ideas about how to navigate challenges, a new path forward. Um, and people, of course, are also the source of most of our joy and our, you know, just having a great time, a good friend, a relative you really enjoy with. That kind of lift is also important for our well-being and our physical health as well. It's so sad. I mean, it What's just the sad part. I, just, I think of the lonely people and I'm like, yes, oh, my God, yes. it's like joy that keeps us connected. So you as a human being hearing that there was a virus happening in China and seeing the visuals of people falling over and what they were doing, you know, started isolating there. And, you know, we all kind of were like, is that coming here? Is that coming here? Is that coming here? What's going through your head at, <laughs> and the, during that time? Yeah. Consider, you know, what can, with all you know, I mean, that must just struck you to your core. Well, yeah. So first of all, I was scared, like everyone else, trying to figure out what this meant. And also because I'm a psychologist, you know, I was thinking about what it means to certainly for our well-being to separate from others physically, to not have that kind of contact, to not be able to be in the same room as people that we care about. Uh, and then as we moved into that phase where we were wearing masks, what a strange social experiment, right? To interact mm -hmm. with people where you can't see their faces. And in some ways, we we begin to think the worst of people because we can't really see what's going on behind their masks. It becomes difficult to personalize or sort of really know people are human in that way. So it was a kind of grand social experiment that was very difficult on so many levels, but certainly got me thinking personally about the importance of connection. And even silly things like, you know, video meetings obviously became much more important in the last three years. And we're talking on a video connection. What does it mean when we only see the top of a person, right? So the mm -hmm. torso and head, I think in some ways we're going to learn that that is a little bit aversive for us, that there's a, a kind of instinctual need that we have to see people's whole bodies because mm -hmm. that allows us to assess whether they're friend or foe, for example. It's much harder to do that if we're just seeing their faces. So the pandemic has been this extraordinary time to think about the consequences of physical distancing, not being able to see people's faces and just social isolation more generally. I, I remember reading at one point that a troubled student getting expelled or suspended from school is really the actual worst thing that you could do for a student, correct? Because taking them away from other kids is really putting more harm than it is to try to come up with a solution. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I think those kinds of situations are complicated, but I think what you're pointing to is critical, that we need to weigh the consequences of people being socially isolated. When the pandemic first started, I'm at a university and I happened to be in a meeting with the president when the pandemic started and Bryn Mawr College, where I teach, was trying to figure out what to do and whether we're going to go remotely. And I remember having a conversation. We were lucky our president was thinking about this. She's a psychologist. And she said, <laughs> I'm worried as much about the mental health of the students being Absolutely. isolated from each other and not having that support as I am about their physical health. Again, there were unknowns at that point. But I think her thought, her worries were appropriate. So in the case of suspending someone from school, there are consequences for that student, for the social connections that are critical, not just in the immediate part of a person's life, but long term, we're learning how to navigate our connections to others when we're adolescents. We're learning how to resolve conflicts, how to deal with our feelings when we yeah. have strong feelings in the presence of others. So removing people from those contexts definitely have important uh, consequences that I think we need to weigh as we figure out what the right path is. And it's the same with social media, right? Social media has a great impact on our ability to connect. At the beginning of the pandemic, it was so critical to connect us with our loved ones. But we also need to think about what the consequences are of relying totally on texting and less lifelike forms of communication. What does that do to our relationships? What does that do to our ability to resolve conflicts and deal with our emotions? That we have to deal with them eventually in person, in real time. Uh, so we all need to think about that. I know because so often I see, I mean, I've done this endless amount of times and now as I'm older and have nieces and cousins that are younger and having most of their relationships take place over a phone, how context is missing and tone is missing and facial exactly. expression is missing so much and communication gets so lost so easily. Exactly. And I think, you know, there's some of us and it makes sense. They say, well, texting is great. There's less emotion attached. You can kind of do it when you have time to focus on it. And those are advantages, but there may also be costs. And the costs are, again, that at some point we're going to have to deal with a person who's right across from us that has a difference of opinion with us, that has strong feelings. We may have strong feelings. So we need to learn those skills. And I think that's an important scientific question. So you asked at the beginning, are we interested in social media and the impact that has on people's lives? Yes, that's really an important focus of what we're doing now. The children of that first generation. So to of say the children of the first. I mean, what an interesting. I mean, I can't wait to fast forward 50, 100 years from now and look back at that yeah. big change, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're interested in people who grew up with phones in their hands when they were young and were native to digital technologies and social media and people who adopted it like I did when I was mm -hmm. older. Does that affect the way that you resolve conflict and relationships? Does it affect the size of your, your true social network, not just the friends you might have on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you spend your time on social media, but the friends that are really an important part of your life, those kinds of connections. So we're interested in seeing how people navigate depending on where they were born and how much digital technologies they've adopted. And of course, we use the technologies for different things. So some of us are good about using the technologies to connect with others. And some of us spend maybe too much time comparing our own lives to the lives of other people online. Yeah, of course. Which I mean, we know I isn't good for us. No, <laughs> I mean, I do a lot of both. I really find yeah. that, you know, having a presence 
on Instagram, which started, by the way, with like a blog I had when I moved to college, which was like a journal, that being able to connect with people over similar feelings was truly one of the best feelings in the world, right? Made me feel not alone. It made me feel like I was connected to a group and I still do via my Instagram. But, you know, of course, like anything, that's why I don't like when people say social media is bad or give like one term to this. This is a dynamic, layered, nuanced device. And there are so many good parts of it too. And I love what you're talking about, right? The first example you gave or examples that you felt connected to people that you might not have been able to connect with. Mm -hmm. So we all use social media in different ways and it's dynamic in the way that you suggest, but we know that certain kinds of use put people at risk. So the, the folks who spend a lot of time, the majority of their time looking online, comparing their lives to others, it often makes us feel less than others because of course the the life that people put online is curated, it looks wonderful. People are doing things that some of us don't get to do often enough. Uh, so we always feel that we're missing something. If, if mm-hmm. it's used for connection in the way that you're describing, particularly connections that are hard to do in our locality, in our geographic I met my location, husband on so Instagram. <laughs> yeah, what a great thing. And you're not alone, right? You're not alone these days. So that's a connection, absolutely. Have you spent any time even thinking about like people meeting on dating apps? We haven't. Like, you know, I've thought about it on my own. I'm married, so I haven't used them myself. I got married <laughs> before this stuff happened. I, I met my wife when I was in school. So I, you know, I've thought about the ways in which our our social life has moved online, our dating life has moved online. And I think it's probably part of a trend that's happening more broadly. Like if we think about the fact that people are moving a lot in the United States away from where they grew up, we're very Mm -hmm. mobile. So we've lost the connections we have to family and friends. Those used to be the people that connected us to our potential spouses. Now the advantage is, you know, the world is our oyster. Any potential partner might be out there we could reach. But the challenge is that we're doing this in a less personal way in some ways than we've done in the past. It's different. Yeah, When you meet someone online, you don't have the kind of point of reference of the connection that someone may have made in the past, right? Totally. And so it's changed and it's changed, you know, I mean, it's changed in a way I'm not sure we're ever going to go back to because many people find their partners online. These days. Yeah. I mean, all my single friends all constantly, constantly are saying, where am I supposed to meet someone? And I was like, how did people meet before? (laughs) Go to a grocery store. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are other ways that, that, so there were, there were connections, there were bars that are still Mm -hmm. important for some people, but I I think we've changed the way that we often meet people. And the same is true in the work world as well. We're making contacts that we never would have made. Otherwise the example, again, that I really loved of yours about making, using technology to connect with people if you're different than the people that you've grown up with in whatever way that may mean for you, being able to reach out to people that share an interest or an identity with you online, so valuable for people. So the technologies have brought us incredible new opportunities, but they mm-hmm. also come with challenges as technologies always do. What did the people say in the study towards the end of their life? I mean, yeah. what questions did you ask them? So We ask a lot of questions and a lot of them are really challenging. One of the questions we asked was, do you have any regrets? So these were when our participants were in their 80s and we asked them, do you have regrets? And just about everyone said, yes, I have regrets. And almost all the regrets involved relationships, that they involved not spending enough time with my family, um, not being kind enough to my partner in life wishing I had spent less energy on work and more energy on the things that matter to me, people in my life. 
So the majority of these regrets centered around relationships that they wish they had invested more time in. Sad to think about at the end of your life having those kinds of regrets, but an incredible gift for all of us about mm -hmm. a reminder about what we might prioritize in our life. Um, you know, there are lots of sayings about no one ever at the end of their life, you know, wishes they had one more achievement, whatever that would have been at work than they had uh, before that. Uh, people really focused on their connections with others. That's what they they were worried about. Oh, mm. it's so move. I mean, this is there had, this has to be a documentary. There has to be something there where people can because it's just it's so important. Do you just want to scream this from the rooftops every day? Well, I think there are two things that are important about this. One is the wisdom of people who have lived a life, right? So really interesting to ask people who have experience in life in their 80s or 70s or your grandparents or, you know, the person you've worked with for a long time to ask them. About I don't want to interrupt, learned. but I want to bring up a point here that my husband brought up and a friend from London brought it up the other day. My mother lives with us mm -hmm. and we have a multi-generational household. My husband's from Sicily. He grew up in the square, in the bar, which is not like a bar, he, like a tier. The bar is where yeah. you get your coffee and you can have aperitivo yeah. and you're there, right? He was talking. We had a, a new, we have, we like to have dinner parties a lot. And we often have people bring new people so we can meet more people. And a friend came over from London and my mom was here and he had such a long conversation with her. And she went to bed early. We were staying up late doing bad stuff. And he said before he left, I would love to take your mom out to lunch, not in a creepy, not in a creepy way. There are no, I'm never around people who are older here because in America, we don't have those kinds of communities. He's like, exactly. I miss talking to people with wisdom. And my husband chimed in and said, that's how I learned everything was for the old men in the square and the old men at the bar. They gave me advice on how to navigate relationships or what to do with my own parents or how to get the girl or politics. He said exactly. there are yep. no young people interacting, getting the wisdom of older people anymore. Yeah, no, so important. And I think that's part of what I mean by the, the what's happened over the last several decades in the United States in particular. We've moved away from our communities. The communities themselves have become less a central part of people's lives. So the model that we have, whether it's from Sicily or other parts of Italy, although there are challenges in Italy as well, that model is decaying as modern you yeah. know, international society begins to take over in other countries as well. Everyone but wants so, to be an influencer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very different right, than being part of a community. So yeah, I, I, I think that lesson is a really important one that people learn things as they age. But the other piece that I wanted to emphasize is the beauty of a study like this is that, you know, we started talking to people when they were in their teens, and this is how they imagine their life would play out, they tell us. And then we get to follow them and see how their life actually plays out. Very few lives play out as people imagine. There's so many unpredictable turns and changes in our life and challenges that we don't anticipate that we're likely to follow. So both pieces are important, the wisdom of old people looking back on their life and also following people forward and learning the twists and turns that they experienced that they didn't necessarily expect. So in our book, The Good Life, there are lots of stories that we bring in from the participants. And those stories are intended to illustrate the research findings that we found in our study and these hundreds of other studies that we look at. But one of the take home points is that life is unpredictable and it's mm. very hard to anticipate the kinds of challenges that we're going to have. So these original participants, the college sample, for example, they went to college in the 30s. War was looming in mm -hmm. Europe. War started to happen. 
91% of them served in World War II, most no. volunteered to serve. So, you know, extraordinary times meant extraordinary commitments and, and responsibilities. And this was a generation that met those responsibilities wow. because they felt that it was an important purpose. So scariest experience in their lives. For many of them, they describe it as the worst experience in their oh. lives. But many of those same people will also say it was one of the best experiences of their lives. They had purpose and meaning. And they also had a camaraderie that they've never experienced in any other place. Having people next to them, their lives dependent on each other, fostered a kind of connection that was very important to them. So we learn to rise to the challenges that we we uh, encounter in life. It's hard to predict what they are. We certainly Correct. couldn't have predicted pa the pandemic before it happened, right? Yeah, very few people no. had any idea this was coming. Yeah. Of course. That's where grit comes in, right? That's the my favorite word. Yeah. So what are the, I feel like there must, you must have found like a lot of like happiness traps in these conversations, right? Like there must be like a lot of moments where people thought, I mean, can you name some of those or yeah. give any? Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I think one idea is that we can be happy all the time is not a healthy idea for us mm. that, that with happiness, almost necessarily is going to come sadness and loss. That happiness is a kind of momentary experience. We can experience joy and happiness and excitement, maybe when we're with a loved one or in the presence of some beautiful music or a piece of art. We can experience those peak experiences, but they wane. They're ephemeral. They don't last forever. Really, our goal should be experiences of happiness, but also a sense of meaning and purpose in our life that transcends time, that, that stays with us over time. So really important not to get caught up in this idea that we could be happy all the time, because I think when we're not, we start to punish ourselves. Why can't I be happy like everyone else is apparently, totally. and everyone else is not happy all the time. <laughs> and it's very hard to be that way. Um, another idea is one I think we've been alluding to, but I'm going to make explicit that it's hard to live a life if we lean into it if we have those important connections with others in our life that's not going to also include challenge so the good life isn't only about the good stuff it's also about meeting the challenges that we face as we've been talking about and i think recognizing that all of us face challenges is really important it's not whether they they are in our life or not it's really how we meet them is the most critical thing so you alluded to grit but this idea about how we cope with our challenges, can we rise to the occasion? Can we use the resources that we have, particularly the people around us, to help make those challenges easier and more navigable or more, more likely that we're going to learn and grow from those experiences? Those are really important keys. And then I'll give you a third one, Pia, about this is really a myth that I think we're bombarded these days more than ever. And they're more effective, the messages that we get from media, from social media, from film, from TV, from everywhere about the things that are supposedly going to make us happy. Mm -hmm. So fame is going to make us happy. Having more money is going to make us happy. Achieving, just getting one more promotion, and then I'll really work on how you know happy I can be or my well-being. That we get distracted by things that turn out not to be so connected to how happy people are. Oh. Yeah, because it's just this like weird thing. I, I always say that to my husband. We talk about like he's given he's brought so much joy to my life because he says things that are so, I'm so happy I married somebody with a different perspective. 
because, you know, as we, you know, start to become more successful and make more money, oftentimes we'll spend it in a way that we shouldn't. And I'll say, you know, we need to, we need to save our money because what about this? And what about that? And he'll always say to me, what about now? He's like, yes, we need to not be completely irresponsible. But he's like, I work hard so I can enjoy my life. He's like, I never thought I would have these things. And I want to be in the moment and enjoy them. And I don't want to have this idea that one day if we all do these things, that we'll be in some good place later and suffer now. I'm like, well, well there you go. That's smart. You know, you know I'm like, it allows us to have more of a, a better attitude about really being in the now because you know, who knows what, God forbid, something happened to one of us or and we, or both of us and we've wasted this time thinking about this end moment where if all these things happen, we will be happy. Yeah, so I, I, I think a bunch of important things that you said, I just want to highlight because they're consistent with some of what we're talking about. First of all, we learn from our differences, right? It's great to be in a relationship where people bring complementary views. They can be challenging, of course, because sometimes we desperately want that person to change their mind. Uh, but we can <laughs> learn to live with differences, right? And then we we sometimes have the best of both worlds in the way that you describe. The other thing that's really important is I think there's there's a kind of attitude, particularly prevalent among young people, right? Where we are in the lifespan dictates our priorities and what's important to us. And when we're young, we're really worried about being successful. We want to get ahead. We want to have a secure source of income and provide for our families, all reasonable and important ideas. But there's also this idea that somehow our life is just on the outside. It's it's out of reach right now that when mm. we do this, then we'll live our life. Then we'll really have fun. It sounds like your husband is the one in the family that reminds you and all of hopefully everyone in your family that, you know, life is now. This is life and we need to live it in a way that's going to be enjoyable. <laughs> People have found there's lots of research on this, that instead of acquiring goods like a new car that's fancier than your other car, but serves the same function, probably isn't going to make you that much happier, no, no matter how neat you think that new car is. <laughs> but new experiences together with the people totally. that you care about. So visiting your husband's family in Sicily, what a great experience to do with money that you acquire. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I know. Because I'm like, listen... I've not been able to afford to go to Italy and I have been able to afford to go to Italy and being able to afford it has been great. So there's yeah. nobody, so clearly like money does it, but it's like, yeah, what are you doing with it? What's the intention I think is really the difference. And it's right? also really clear, P. I think this isn't intuitive. Like the data is just so clear when you look at it. So if you look at the connection between how much money we earn, our income and our happiness levels, there is a small connection. It's not as big as people think up to about the point where in the United States, you can live at a subsistence a subsistence middle-class level. When the study was done in the 2000s, it was 75,000 was the figure that was cited. After that, the relationship between income and happiness almost disappears. Completely study, disappears almost. Well, in one study, lots of studies, most of the studies say that it almost disappears. In one study, there was a small connection and a small connection means that you literally have to triple your income to see a difference in your happiness. And for most people, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so this idea that making more money will make us happy is, I think, a modern illusion that there are limits on how much it's going to affect our emotional well-being. It may give us more control. It may give us access to things that we think are important to us better accommodations when we travel or maybe flying business class for some people if they're fortunate enough. Um, but those things over time don't really make a fundamental difference in how happy we are. Mm. 
What if you could finally have a bra that makes your boobs look and feel amazing and is super comfortable to wear all day? Well, that is Third Love's 24-7 classic t-shirt bra. And guess what? It makes your boobs look great, period. It's also super supportive and it's comfortable and it won't show through your clothes. It's made millions of women and their boobs very happy. It's designed for your body and it even comes in half cup sizes. So you don't have that thing where like your boob like spills over the top. I love, love, third love. There's no pinching. There's no poking. The straps stay on perfectly. I, you know, I've been recently wearing a lot of white tank tops, as I'm sure you could see. And once I entered my white tank top era, I also entered the era of, oh shit, my bras don't fit me well. <laughs> like, it was very noticeable very quickly. And that's why I love my third love bra. The 24-7 t-shirt bra makes my boobs look amazing. It's seamless over my t-shirts. It makes me feel good. I'm not poking and prodding. It makes me feel proud. It makes me feel proud of my body. And it's so easy. When you go to third love, it takes two seconds to find all your gorgeous underpinnings. It takes two seconds. The size ranges are unbelievable. The colors are to die for. They have a fitting room quiz because your bra can change six or more times throughout your life. I mean, mine's changed. <laughs> I've had many iterations of boobs up until this point, which so changed many times. And guess what? My bras do not change with it. Like I just keep wearing the same ill-fitting bras until third love. Obviously, of course, you don't get stuck with a bad bra. You can return or exchange anything free for 60 days. The team of expert fit stylists are available to answer any of your questions. They are also the largest donor of undergarments in the U.S., partnering with organizations across the United States. Third love has donated over $50 million worth of bras to people in need. I also just want to say as a friend that they're like little lace thongs are my favorite ever, ever, ever. Ditch your bad bras. Get a better one today that makes you look and feel great. Upgrade your bra today and get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash best. That's 20% off your first order today at thirdlove.com slash best. How do I ask my boss for a raise? I'm so jealous of my coworkers promotion. I just don't know what to do. Is there a good way to brag about my accomplishments? Careers are complicated, and there are so many hush-hush topics we're told we can't talk about. That's why you have the Career Contessa podcast. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and each week I'm joined by experts to help you overcome your workplace woes with actionable advice that you can use today. Subscribe to the Career Contessa podcast and make progress in your career every Tuesday. What are the major health issues that you see from people... I mean, you said it's just as dangerous to our health as smoking and obesity. Smoking and obesity. Yeah. So really the revolution that's been so exciting and, you know, I've been around now long enough that I can remember my graduate school days 30, 40 years ago when we were just imagining how this might happen. So the, the thing that's amazing is that relationships get under our skin and affect our bodies and our brains in ways that we could never have conceived of three or four decades ago. So I'll give you some examples. And these are examples we talk about in our book. One cool example is a study that sounds cruel, 
That's the kind of study that psychologists do when they get consent, of course, before they do it. But they give people wounds on their arms, mm -hmm. pointing to my arm, and it's a puncture wound. So it's a standard wound in which they take a little piece of skin off. It hurts a little bit. But the idea of the study is to watch carefully. So they bring people in, they photograph them every day to see how quickly that wound heals. Do not and tell me it heals faster in happy people. It For people who are in better relationships, more satisfying relationships, we're talking about marriages now, their wounds heal quicker. So this is like uh, just on a cellular level. We're on like, a cellular level. And, wow. and we think there are other examples that are related to our immune functioning as well. So we know people who are burdened by caretaking roles have are more likely to get colds and viruses. Their immune functioning isn't firing as strongly as people who don't have that kind of burden. Wow. Um, one other example, which again, I think is dramatic, but it makes this point. If you expose people to pain, and again, these are modest levels of pain, but yeah. it hurts, and you put them in a brain scanner, and in one condition, you're they're all alone, and in another condition, they get to hold the hand of someone they love. In the condition of the hand holding, oh the areas of the brain that experience pain are less active, and people report experiencing less pain. So again and again, very different kinds of studies. We well, see this getting into our skin at a cellular level, at a brain level. We see the way in which relationships affect our physical health and explain why we see this incredible connection between loneliness and longevity and physical health. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's right. I'm fortunate enough to have a functional medicine doctor that will not work with a patient if they wake up sad and angry every day because he mm -hmm. said there's nothing i can do there's no pill there's no diet i can give you that will cure you until you have found happiness in your life i love that you know really need to attend to our emotional well-being really critical on a daily level i love that yeah it's really i was like oh this is because he's like i've been working in this long enough to know that that if you don't have any sense of happiness or joy, that we have to do that first. Because there's just nothing I can do, which I think is just fascinating. Does it make you believe in God a little bit or that there has to be just like some higher power? Which part, Pia? How are you thinking? Which part? Just all of this, that like joy <laughs> is what makes us, you know, if, if it, it seems it's like a movie, you know, it just seems well, I beautiful. Yeah, there are two parts that for me feel somewhat spiritual around this. One is this gift of being able to see people's lives live. So we have, you know, file drawers full of people's experiences across an 85-year period filled out by their own, you know, handwriting. So they're oh, circling responses, God. they're writing in answers, they're answering, you know, open-ended questions in their longhand. We have photos of them, we have correspondence. So it's a little bit like a family album, but there's 724 mm -hmm. of these families, right? So that feels somewhat, you know, it feels quite profound, almost spiritual to me. And I think it's given me a clear appreciation, be able to see their whole lives, a clear appreciation for how we need to prioritize in our lives every day, all of us at all our ages, what's important to us. So what do we value? What do we want to make happen in our lives? That life is fleeting. We all know that, but we tend to try to not think about it. As we get older, it becomes a more present, you know, kind of experience or worry in people's minds. But this working with the study has made me uh, appreciate more the limit of life and the importance of trying to really make happen while we have time on the earth, what's important to us. Are there certain 
rituals that you do on like a daily or weekly basis that you've learned from these studies? I'm sure it has to have impacted your personal life immensely. Yeah, of course, it's impacted me. And I, I think, you know, part of it is learning by writing about the stuff as well, both the academic articles and also the book that we wrote. And I should also add that I'm a clinician. So I've worked with folks over the years trying to think about these things, but it's had a, a big impact on myself. And I think part of it is being intentional about our social life. So in our book, The Good Life, we talk about this idea of social fitness, that just like mm. we attend to our physical fitness by actively thinking about the things we need to work on to improve our, you know, the strength of our muscles or our flexibility, we also need to reflect and think about our social life so that we don't go through on kind of automatic pilot but we intentionally think about which relationships we want to continue to cultivate and lean into, maybe see some of those people more frequently, and which of our relationships have been depleting for us, have been difficult for us over a period of time where we really recognize either we need to or we want to change them. So maybe it's a sibling that you've lost touch with or you had an argument with, and you want to kind of figure out a way to fix that relationship, that time keeps marching on, that we need to lean in, in with intention and effort and devote our precious resources, which are really our time and our mm -hmm. attention to relationships. So that that's a key lesson for me and one we, we certainly talk a lot about in our book. I can't thank you enough for speaking to me today. This has just been... It's just fascinating and it's sweet and it warms my heart. I can't tell you, every time I drive by a person who's sitting alone at a bus stop and they're older... I, I always think to myself, I need to just ask this person if I can drive them home and have a conversation with them. I, I like, I've felt that since I was a little kid and it's very dangerous to put a stranger in your vehicle, but I keep thinking to myself, <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking to myself, if it's like somebody who looks like I can, you know, that I, I clearly have more physical strength than this person, then maybe it's okay. But I keep, I, that is like, it's always been something that I've, that I've felt the need to do since I was a little, 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 little kid. And I just well, do I, it. It breaks my heart that so many people are lonely. And and I think there are lots of opportunities where we can do this safely. So I hear stories <laughs> now, people tell me these stories and I've had some of these experiences myself, but in the grocery store that, that you know, older woman who's resting on the cart because she can't really walk by herself, who's going through the grocery store very slowly, that's an opportunity to have a connection, to ask them what their favorite you know, meal that they're preparing is, that oftentimes we're not brave enough, even in those places where it's safe and the grocery store is different than bringing a stranger into your car. We you know, conjure up all sorts of worries. This person is gonna think we're silly or they're gonna be mean and, and not like us. That if we're just brave enough to have those conversations, like that visitor that got to talk to your husband's mom, we can mm. benefit from those connections and we can even learn things along the way. So be brave. Talk to strangers. <laughs> I saw a woman once when we were in Sicily last time, this really darling old older woman, and she was kind of shuffling and she was holding a bag and we walked by really fast and I was like, oh, I should have helped her. And then two seconds behind me was another younger woman and the older woman looked at her and she said, my love, can you walk me home? My arms are getting tired. And I she said, it. of course. Yeah. And she, oh, I basically cried. And they interlocked arms and they like walked down the street together and I filmed it like a, like a savage, like a voyeur and put it on Instagram. And I was like, I just saw the most beautiful moment, you know, yeah. and that it was, you know, there is something to 
like the way that people live in different parts of the world where there isn't so much, there's just more human connection and it's not weird. I think that's, it's exactly right that we get a kind of jolt of joy. You're, you're experiencing as, you know, it's kind of an emotion that's so poignant that you're crying about it, right? But mm-hmm. it's that connection that we really thirst for. And when we see moments where we experience that or we witness others, we get this kind of jolt of energy. It reminds us what it's like to be human. It reminds us how important connecting with others uh, can be. And it's just a great feeling. It's something we don't forget. I hope that this study gets looked at by people who run large institutions and can make institutional changes, even the way that we function at the airport or because I don't know why the airport just brings out the worst in people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, you see people act crazy at an airport or on planes. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know what is in the air. Like it gets bad over there. But even in colleges, like redirecting the way that dorms are designed or exactly. prison yep. systems or anything like that, because it, they're really, I just think that we've, it would just be so helpful. Sidewalks, public spaces. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There are lots of implications that I think are really important. We need to figure out ways in a world where the social forces have pushed us apart. We really need to think intentionally and thoughtfully about how to bring people together. So I think you're describing some of them as great. So. Where can people buy the book? Books available everywhere. The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness online, local bookstore, and uh, we Wonderful. have a web page if people want to learn more, thegoodlifebook.com with hyphens between those words. Lots of places to learn more about the book. Wonderful. Well, congratulations. What a Thank wonderful you. thing you get to do. Thank you. Enjoy right. Thank you so much. You. It was nice meeting you. Good to meet you, Pia. Take care. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barangini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.